does have it all. All of our pre-owned vehicles are Hubler Q certified, which include a 128-point vehicle inspection, a free Carfax vehicle history report, and two warranties. A two-year, 100,000-mile powertrain warranty and a 30-day, 1,000-mile comprehensive warranty. Visit any of our 13 locations today or click drivehubler.com. Joining us now on the program, as he does each and every Monday, and thankful for that, of course, the Dean of Writers when it comes to the Indianapolis Colts, Mike Chappell from WXIN and CBS, WTTV Channel 4. And, Chap, I'll begin by just kind of giving you the floor, if you will, in terms of you can take it as what went wrong on Saturday or what you're optimistic about in kind of turning over the page towards the offseason heading into next season, and just your thoughts overall on where things are with the Indianapolis Colts. Well, th- this is one of those that, you know, I asked a couple of players this. I mean, the, the suddenness of it's over, and they're, they're not out there today planning to play next weekend or whatever. It's over, and they're, they're, you know, they're cleaning out their lockers, and some won't be back here. But even, even that in mind, we're out there in the press room, Stephen Holder and Joel Erickson and all of us, and James Lloyd, and we're talking over the fourth and one still because that's you know that's essentially why they're not still playing. I mean, they still had to score. Let's get that straight. They might have converted that and got stuffed. Who knows? But it, it's 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 come down to fourth and one. It's time to move on, and we will. But the one thing that I'll say about the play is I'm not sure how – if you're sitting there in a vacuum and you say, we're going to draw up this play and you're going to have your quarterback throwing a pass to a wide open running back, you know, 10 yards. And if you, if you complete it, it's a first down. And then who knows, everybody takes that everybody. And they didn't execute it. And and then the question is, my, my question wasn't so much the play. It was that they had planned on, whenever that fourth and one, fourth and two, two-point conversion play was needed, it was going to include Tyler Goodson. In, in, during, so during the weekend practice, he was the primary guy. They all took reps because you don't know who's going to be, be available at the last part of a game. But I guess my, my issue would have been having a player who had, what was it, six – receptions and seven targets all year and was, you know, 10 weeks on your practice squad. And, and this is not meant to be a, a pile on Tyler Goodson. It's not at, at all, but I would have preferred a better option on the play. Uh, and my goodness, Carter uh, minshew has got to make a better throw. Joel and I were talking about, I said I was like 60-40 on the throw was to blame and not to catch, and he said higher, and, and, and I would probably agree, higher. But I would rather have seen a better, a more not better, a more proven option in that situation. And that that goes back to them deciding that this guy, that Tyler Goodson, was their best pass catcher out of the backfield. You know, in, in like we've said, if any play doesn't work, you should have done something else. Well, let's say they run, you know, and again, I, Stephen Holder, and he's right. I want my best player out there with the season and the division on the line, and that's Jonathan Taylor. And he had that super game 
I went and looked. That's the that's the second most yardage by a running back in franchise history in a loss, the 188. But he was hurt. Remember, he went to the locker room, and he wasn't the same player on that drive. He, he had like eight or nine carries, but he wasn't the same. So, yeah, give it to him and run behind your expensive line, I understand. And, and I'd have been okay with that. And if it doesn't work, you say, well, this this is where we are. This is our strength. But, boy, the way that play worked, or the, the way the play was drawn up and unfolded, gosh, make make a play that you, you're going to make 98% of the time. That That's what gets me. And I, I felt bad for Tyler Goodson in the locker room. He stood there and took it. Uh, but, boy, Minshew's got him just – got to make a better pass and and if they do that who knows what we're talking about today but that that's what's so that's what's so cool about the the nfl is that it, it's it, it's such a topic of con- and, and it's going to drive the topic of conversation for the next week and then at some point hopefully people will realize that while they had the division right there i mean who didn't expect jacksonville to, to gag in nashville i mean that, that was going to happen and then you're playing this week at home, but hopefully people will, will be able to, you know, the, the, whatever the next stage of grief is, you can really appreciate what what this franchise achieved through so much of suspensions and injuries and losing your quarterback and more suspensions and and, and, and an arrest and all that. Nine and eight pretty doggone good now it's it's that's not to, to say you're satisfied at all because because of what could have been but anyone who thought this team was going to win nine games uh either either gets checks signed by jim ursay or the delusional because no one really saw that even with richardson so you know it's one of those yes yes be po'd for a while and get it out of your system and then sort of appreciate what the foundation that was laid because, you know, the future looks pretty bright if, if Anthony Richardson is that guy. So, Chap, let me ask you a question, and maybe it's awfully Freudian of me, but to your point about the NFL, you know, one of the beauties of the NFL is in the end, more often than not, like water kind of finds its level. And I thought, to your point, you go back to August when we're sitting out there at Grand Park, Nobody thought they were going to win nine games. But yet here it was, one play away from a divisional championship for all intent. And again, sure. we're acting like that was a touchdown play. They still would have had to score if they got the first down. Right. But you get my, what I'm saying. Right. But a lot of a lot of things fell the way of the Colts this year. They faced a lot of teams whose quarterback had gone down, They as had theirs. They faced – there were a lot of things that just the ball bounced their way. And they took advantage of that. And teams, you got to take advantage of it. And that is to their credit. But in the end, it's almost like the football god said, but we still know you're not truly a playoff team. <laughs> you can argue that. <laughs> I, 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 does that Am I making sense in, in the way I say that? Like, it kind of balanced out the way it was supposed to in the end. And the football gods maybe did Indianapolis a favor because they said to Chris Ballard and to Jim Mercer and to Shane Steichen, you still got work to do, so go get back in the lab. Yeah, but you get you could have known that and won that game also. No, I, I get that. <laughs> you, 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 no, but you're right. I mean, they, did they overachieve? Of course they did. And, and did they did they catch breaks from what was it five straight weeks of backup quarterbacks? Yes, but 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 they played you know 
the last two-thirds of the season with a backup quarterback. So the, the, I, I guess the, the storyline is going to be is what might have been, what could have been. And you, you uh, a long time ago, you used a, the analogy of a flat tire and you put a donut on your car and, you know, it's not supposed to go this long. And I thought we saw sort of where Gardner Minshew can take you, sort of. And, and, and again, I, I didn't want to pile on goods when I don't mean to pile on Minshew either. But he needed to make three or four plays, five plays, whatever, and he just didn't. And, again, to rush for 188 for Taylor and 227, which, which again, I looked it up, and that's, that's the most yardage this team has rushed for and lost in the Indy era. So, you know, they did everything they did everything right, well, except for letting Nico Collins go for like 400 yards. I mean, God, when you got one guy that can really beat you and you don't take him out, uh that that, that that's a shame on the Colts, but no, I I I thought they 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 maximized they they squeezed every ounce of of what can we do next out of this roster, I think. Uh, and to come up short, it, 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 it just, it's a gut punch because, again, the way things came out. But, you know, I, they, they took advantage of what they could of what they should until the quarterback couldn't make a play. And I hate to put it all on one guy, but it, and I realize that it never comes down to one play. Well, yeah, it sort of did. I mean, it sort of did. So th- that's where you, you, you wish they had had another, you know, just a little burst in them. And like you said, people need to realize that converting that, they still had to score a touchdown. And, you know, if you, I tell you, if you look at that, I'm not so sure that Goodson might not have scored if he kept his balance because Pittman was there blocking. And all, if he cuts it up and all that, you know, if, if, if. But, uh, yeah, I, 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 that's pretty cruel, the football gods, to, to put so many things in your, in your path to, to help you. And then say, nah, I don't think so. I know. Yep. <laughs> but, but, but they, there's no question. They benefited from a lot. They overcame a lot. I know how on, on the internet, people want Gus Bradley fired. I didn't get that impression from Shane Steichen at all today, at all. And I look at that secondary over the last, oh, shoot, all season. What he had to do to try to to compensate for the lack of, of of veterans and experience and you know I'm sure Rick Venturi's cussing at me right now because they didn't because they didn't take like a Nico Collins away but I thought he was so preoccupied with trying to protect a, a I don't use the word bad but an un, un, unready for the moment secondary uh, so yeah I. I understand everyone's frustrations and disappointments, but I still think they took a couple of major steps forward. Again, if the quarterback comes back, so he's going to come back. But 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 if he's the answer, can stay on the field, and we're going to talk to him later in the week, I believe. So uh, the future is still on Anthony Richardson. It just it just is. Dean Mike Chapel of Fox Nine and CBS Four is our guest. Chap, last <clears throat> off season, you advocated strongly for the Colts getting things taken care of with Jonathan Taylor because of what he means to the Colts and what he means for that offense. I would argue heading into this off season, this isn't a you know a unique take. It's just the state of affairs with that wide receiver room. There is nobody more important to retain from an offensive standpoint than Michael Pittman Jr. Whether it's the tag, whether it's a deal getting done with him. Do you subscribe to the viewpoint this offseason 
that retaining Michael Pittman Jr. should be done by any means necessary. Yeah, and it will be done by any means necessary. Yeah, I, I, I tend to it, – it needs to be the long-term deal. And, you know, the, the problem is that's not what they've done at that, at that position. They've not – you know, they've invested second-round picks and all this, and but they've not really – given that second contract to a receiver by any by any stretch and but but they but they've sort of sort of put themselves in his position because there's no with Michael Pittman there's no plan B. So we'll just let him we'll, we'll let him test his you know his worth on the market and maybe he'll come back to us. No, you, you first that's not gonna happen. We we had a really good talk with Pitt today and I really enjoy Michael Pittman. I really do he's he he's just a great person, a great personality, and he is a businessman. He is, he understands. He was talking about, you know, he wants to he, he wants to see what's out there. He said, "I'm going to do my due diligence. I owe it to myself, and that means going out and seeing what the market bears." But I don't know if the Colts are going to allow that to happen. I mean, they're going to, now if they franchise, he can go out there and and see what he can get, but. But you know that that's it's just not going to happen because the compensation and all that they're they're not he, he's he's going to be here next year. he just is I I'm not breaking ground there it's going to be what it be for the franchise tag or whatever and I I think I asked him I said well how receptive will you be if they put the franchise tag on you and he said something like and he knew the numbers like twenty three it's like twenty three nine million he said yeah I said I'm not sure any I know of anyone who would sort of turn their back on twenty three million dollars. But then he said, I wouldn't necessarily like it. I'm paraphrasing because we talked to so many people today. So, yeah, I, I I think he's here next year. I think it makes sense if the money – I hate to say makes sense because the money we're talking hardly ever makes sense because of, you know, the magnitude of it. But, his, his, you know, it's, it's obvious to me that his his starting point is going to be the franchise tag, $23 million. And – if he would, if he is out there on the open market and can sell himself to the highest bidder, what do you think the Kansas City Chiefs would pay him? I mean, they need a receiver so bad it's it's a shame. So I, every all, we all talked about, boy, you'd like great season, boy, you want more from him, you want more of a deep threat. Well, that's a that's a reflection of these guys not having quarterbacks recently to throw the ball deep. Minshew didn't. I mean, he 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 rendered Alec Pierce transparent most of the season. So you know, Pittman would love to go somewhere where they do throw deep. You know, the the Buffaloes or or wherever. I mean, so, somewhere where they really got a, a a deep threat component to their pass game. These guys really don't have it enough. But I just you know, the due diligence is going to be go ahead fine, but it's going to be a long term deal or the franchise tag and you know the, the long-term deal makes sense just so you're not upsetting the player and maybe he stays away until late august i don't know well chap uh, one of the interesting be- things to me about Pittman, and see if, if you can follow my my brain skipping here but i, I you know going into the year I, i'm not saying that you were one i mean i think there was always the question of like is michael Pittman a true number one I, we now know Agreed. he is right clearly he is i i think i i'm sort of on that train yes but but at the same time you look at him and you say okay he is a number one but truly every number one needs 
a secondary receiver, and in particular a receiver that can do what it is that is not their specialty. And in Pittman's case, his speci- his specialty is not getting out behind the defense and being a deep ball threat. That would be Alec Pierce's role. Now the question becomes, is Alec Pierce short in that role or is Alec Pierce perfectly suitable for that role and Anthony Richardson is the guy that will show that, in fact, Alec Pierce is the guy? But only the Colts will be able to determine which of those two becomes the reality. So to me, really, the big question becomes not necessarily – I think with Pittman, we know what you've got. The question becomes – are they cool with rolling with Pierce and saying Anthony Richardson solves that problem, or do they need to go out and get, in fact, a number two receiver? Yes, <laughs> yes. Uh, e- e- even if, and I-, I do think internally they believe that with a Richardson, they're, they're, he, they will be able to more tap into what Alec Pierce does. I do. I believe that. But I also say they need to have uh, a better option at number two. And then you've got Josh Downs as that slot guy who can be really, really good. And then let Pierce sort of be the the two A or the or number three or however you want to put it. I, I think I think what they need to do, and they don't listen to me very often, but you know, re-sign Pittman long-term deal. I don't know, four years, a hundred million dollars. Just just throw the numbers out there. That which is maybe high. I don't know, but then then you still need another receiver. You need a, a veteran guy who can be more of a two and let Pierce be that shock guy and let, you know, Downs be the guy who just does things underneath. And if you hit him in stride, he's going to run. He showed his run after the catch skills a lot of times this year, including Saturday night. So, yeah, I think with however they deal with Pittman, they still need to add a receiver. I don't I don't think necessarily with a draft pick because they've got some young guys. You know, Pitt's only like 26 or 27. So – so, but yeah, I, I think they, however they handle Pitt franchise or long term, they still need to bring in a guy who's more than just a guy. More, they need to get, bring in a guy that's proven and can be that guy as, as a number two guy or or something like that. And then then it's a pretty good room. Okay, Mike Chapel, I'm going to list for you people that there's the possibility if the Colts so chose would not be on or a part of the franchise next year. I'm going to give them, give the name, and then you tell me basically yes, no, if they are back, and if okay. you want to elaborate, you can. You ready? Uh, yep. Gus Bradley. Yes. Okay. Yeah, Sykin said two or three times, I like continuity. I, sort of, I like what Gus has done, so I think he's back. Grover Stewart. Yes. Okay. I, I won't elaborate. I just think yes. Kenny Moore the second. <laughs> well, they got his picture up at the stadium. Uh, they yeah. also had uh, Shaq Leonard's up, and they I had and they had Jonathan Taylor and Quentin Nelson, and both of them were not selected to work with on fourth and one. But I digress. I, uh, I understand. I understand. Ken, okay, so Kenny Moore. Yes. Okay. Gardner Minshew. No. Now, do you think no, that's? I, be- I, they, 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 I think he's gonna. I think he's gonna get more on the open market than what these guys were willing to pay. I think they'll bring in a, another backup. They they said all the right things today about what Minshew did, but there's just and I tell you in the perfect world where he play or he starts like three games, it's probably perfect. But at some point that donut tire you got on just kind of wears down. No, I I don't think he's back. Chap, I'm not going to lie to you. 
when when my tomb is in Crown Hill, hopefully it's not for a couple of years, but we'll see. I, I I'm I'm proud of the fact that that donut tire analogy is going to follow me all the way to there, isn't it? I think it's 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 a perfect analogy, and if he completes that pass, it would have been so wrong. But in the people that criticize the team and Minshew, this boy, another backhanded compliment coming. This is kind of who he's been. This is the good, the bad, the warts, the the the, the good plays, and some you scratch your head about. But that's who he is, and I don't know that that's a bad thing. But you know, is he one of the top thirty-two quarterbacks in the league? Probably not. But that's but that's fine. I mean, people have made a career for a long time being that backup guy that either steps in or bounces around and finds the right spot. I, I just don't think it's here next year. Well, I, I like don't. what Jimmy said earlier. Jimmy, what you said is the reality is, Chap, you, you saw this year that if you if you go the totality of a season with Gardner Minshew, you kind of know what the ceiling is now. So based on that, if, if next year, if Anthony Richardson's your guy, you know that if he goes down, if you're not going to make the playoffs anyway, then you, then you – you don't spend overpay, the money elsewhere. Don't overpay for him. Like if he right. wants to come back on a team friendly deal, by all means, like that's fine. But don't overpay for a quarterback that if you break the glass for him, you know how it ends. Um, Ryan but, Kelly. Uh, that's why. That's why I say I think he gets. He'll get a. Uh, uh, they paid him three point five. I think he gets every bit of five or six or seven somewhere else, and I I just don't see these guys doing that. Uh, Ryan Kelly. I enjoy Ryan Kelly. I think he's back. Uh, we talked to him today, and I waited until all the TV guys went away because the players are always better. And I, I said, so when do you start thinking about your future? He said, about what? I said, you know, about whether you're going to come back or not. He said, when have I ever given you the impression that I was re- retiring? And I said, well, I said, I said, all, all I said is it's out there. And, and there's some social media stuff where it says, I'm hearing that Ryan Kelly thought long and hard about it last year, and he's thinking long and hard about it this year. I said, it's just out there. He said, he said, I don't know where that S stuff comes from, but they need to check their sources. So now that could be BS type stuff, but he, he was agitated by the fact that it's out there that he's considering retirement. Uh, so I, I think he's back, but at the same time, I don't think he's not a 14 year lifer by any right. stretch. He's got, he's got a family and a life now, but I got the impression that uh, Ryan Kelly's coming back. Okay. A couple more Taekwondo Lewis. If the price is right, he's a very valuable player, so I'd say yes. Isaiah McKenzie. I believe his name tag is down. So uh no, I don't no, no, no. Those are the guys those are the guys you you, you sign in April or yeah. May after the draft. No. McKenzie, no. by the way, who sent a tweet saying, Now that my team's eliminated, can I root for somebody else in the playoffs? And it's like, Yeah, I think you probably <laughs> Yeah, go ahead. Uh Julian ahead. Blackman. <laughs> Boy, uh, uh, if the price is right, they showed how, how how inadequate they were at safety a lot of times, and including both touchdowns. I felt bad for Juju Brents that he's out there on an island in the first play of the game or the first play of – yes, if they can make the money work, yes. Zach Moss. No. He'll find he'll find value somewhere else. I was going to say, he'll get paid now, right? Like they basically – what they did this year was kind of showcase – for somebody else to come along and make him, you know what I mean, a bigger role. All right. And, and one thing that uh, Joel and, and George Bremer Anderson, who's really good, 
he, they went back and looked, and George did, and, and Zach Moss had his best games with Anthony Richardson as a quarterback. Well, that, can you imagine what this this team would have run for uh, Saturday night with Anthony Richardson? I mean, holy smokes! So no, I, but no, you, I think that the team did Zach a great favor by pumping up his value. But I think maybe they draft a guy mid rounds and then maybe find a veteran guy. But I, I no, I, I I think we enjoyed what we got out of uh, Zach Moss. Okay, lastly, Danny Penter. Yeah, because there's no downside. I mean, isn't he still on his rookie deal? Uh, I think I'd have to look at that closer. But, yeah, I think so. And they had semi-high hopes for him, you know, as as an interior backup guy and just had the unfortunate of whatever it was, breaking a foot or whatever it was uh, early on, training camp or whatever. So, yeah, I think so, yeah. Uh, And, again, I I think – I'd say maybe Michael Pittman's deal sort of dictates what you can do. It it doesn't really. It's going to – What's going to dictate it is how much cash the owner has to spend. This isn't nor- because they got a boatload of cap space again. Is it like seventy million, sixty some million? That's not an issue. It's it's cash and how you structure Michael Pittman's long term deal if it is, and how much money does does he want up front? Can you pay up front? So they've once again they have got flexibility. I'm sure Chris Ballard always pounds a table when we talk about this because it's not as easy as what we'd make it be. But they've got flexibility. They've got things they can do. They've got priorities. When you've got the rookie contract at quarterback, it gives you so so many more options. It's not easy, but it, but but it's easier. So I, I think a lot of those guys you want back, you can't. One thing to keep in mind is that almost all those guys you talked about, and probably all of them, are not Shane Steichen guys. So this will be his time to sit down and better evaluate the people we're talking about, not so much the defensive players. He'll let the defensive coaches do that, but but how they fit in what he wants to do. And I don't think they go crazy other than Pittman as far as as bringing guys back with with really – one guy you mentioned, they need to address uh, Zaire Franklin's contract. I mean, he's he's grossly underpaid because they paid him at the time as a special teams player, and now he's twice at the franchise record for tackles. So they need to address him as well. So, but but again, going back, they've got the cap space, and they're going to have. It's going to depend on how they they kind of divvy out the available money. This is still a small market team, and they're just not printing as. Even though Jim Mercer keeps buying guitars. Uh, cash, fluid cash is always an issue, but I, they've got really some good options on guys to bring back. But most of those guys will come back at the Colts number, or they won't come back. Mike Chapel of Fox Nine and CBS Four is our guest. Chap, you mentioned earlier that your path to maybe getting another wide receiver is signing a veteran. We don't have the time to discuss if it's better to do it in the draft or do it in free agency. But let's go with your path of a veteran we're in agreement that it can't be another Isaiah McKenzie, right? That was touted as a veteran. Getting a veteran-wide receiver for Anthony Richardson, in my mind, even if you tag Pitt or if you pay him, would be a T. Higgins or, I mean, I know he's on the older side, he doesn't really fit your scheme, a Mike Evans, like a name, a Calvin Ridley, a significant name. It can't be Randall Cobb in terms of bringing in a veteran, correct? Yeah, and there'll be those guys out there. Again, 
the thing when people say, well, you, we're not going to pay Pittman more. I, it's kind of funny. I, I've kind of compared Michael Pittman to Miles Turner, where you pay, didn't you get a max contract? And boy, you want you want more, whatever more is from Miles Turner. He's pretty good. He's pretty good. Uh, and Pittman's the same way. You'd like you'd like to see more of the deep threat, and that that may be a, a reflection of they haven't had quarterbacks to, that can routinely use him deep. But yeah, they they need to bring in a guy who who is you know may, maybe twenty eight, twenty nine, thirty. You know, I don't want an old guy in here, but but somebody that can really step up and give you I don't know forty or fifty catches and, and some decent yards and some touchdowns. Because if you let Pittman walk, it's going to cost you that much to, to replace him. It just will. And you're getting a guy that you don't know that much about. It's going to be a great list of veteran free agents at, at the position when it first comes out. And then teams will start franchising them or re-signing them. So the, so the initial list you see of uh, free agent receivers, don't believe it. Use it for a base. But that most of those guys won't be available. So I, I think they really hit on Taylor the, uh, in the draft, and they really hit on Pittman. And, you know, I, 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 Jake talked earlier, and you hit on Quentin Nelson. And when you do, it comes time to pay him, to get that second contract. And and I think these these guys have proven that they're worth the investment. Quentin Nelson, you, you hate to pay that much, but he, he's, he is that good at his position. You wish it was at left tackle or right tackle or whatever. But he's, he, he's your left guard, and he's a, one of the top two or three in the league right now. So when you hit on your draft picks, you got to pay them. Hey, Mike, lastly, Mike Chappell, our guest. C.J. Stroud's pretty good, isn't he? Yeah, I, that, yeah. I mean, he, he is. Cause, because in a game of that magnitude, you know, you kind of wondered. And look, guy comes out of Ohio State, he's played in big moments for sure, right? But, I mean, when that came down to it, you know, you look at the next day, same level of magnitude for Jacksonville and Trevor Lawrence. Now, I think Trevor Lawrence was hurt, quite frankly. And I'm an apologist for Trevor Lawrence, maybe more than I should be. I think he's really good. But I think, you know, that that it shows why they need Richardson to deliver because there are two really good quarterbacks already in the AFC South that are established. Yeah, and I'm not sold on Will Levis in Tennessee yet. I'm just not. I mean, I'm not. I'm not. But, yeah, the other two. And, again, if I'm not mistaken, Trevor Lawrence's issues began – in that one loss of the Colts was at 37-20, and they had him roll out at the end of the game. And Samson or somebody tackled him, and then he had his knee issues, and then it was something every week. So I still I believe in Lawrence. I, I still can't believe that they get, got into their, their death spiral, uh, which was just the opposite of what happened last year. But, no, you've got you got to have the quarterback. And I, I, I wish we had a, a, a deeper sample size of Richardson – you know, four games, uh, you, you saw what you really like, but you'd like to see more, and can he stay healthy and all that stuff. But he gives them hope. And, again, the idea of having however many games with Richardson and Taylor and even Pittman, you know, they played one play together this year, one. So uh, it's pretty exciting, but you're still you're still not entirely sure of what you get with Richardson, although he gave you – some good glimpses. I just wish it was a deeper sample size. Uh, where do we go from here, Mike, in conclusion? In other words, the next week or so, we are looking for what in terms of the advancement and the moving on here and turning the page from the 23 season into now the offseason? 
probably quiet for a few weeks uh, because I, I don't, you know, if they're not going to make any coaching changes, uh, that we're not that that won't be a, an issue unless again somebody with an expiring contract goes somewhere else because that's where they, what they prefer. But I think as far as players, gosh, I, we're not going to. Michael Pittman made it very clear that he, you know, they made it. He, they they had discussions with the Colts that we're not going to talk do, about this during the season. We're going to wait, and he wants to he wants to see what his options are out there. So until the Colts, do we normally get them, like a season in review? I I can't recall, so my apologies. Do we normally get some sort of a season in review presser from either Chris Ballard or Jim Irsay? We'll get Chris Ballard later in the week, apparently Thursday or Friday, whatever. So and he'll have he'll have two or three days to, to figure out all the questions we're going to ask him and he'll tell us whatever he wants to tell us. So, yeah, I, I but I don't think he's going to give us any, any details. I mean, yeah, we'd like to, you know, we hope to get Michael Pittman done. He's a, you know, cause Chris Ballard, he loves Michael Pittman. He, he is the, the, the prototype player he wants in so many, you know, so, so many traits is what, what he wants. But there's not a lot he can tell us. He can't tell us about Grover or Kenny, Kenny Moore or any of these guys. It'll be more. He, his will be more. I think a reflection of what went right, what went wrong this past season, as opposed to looking ahead. Because I don't know that they're even. They they won't even be very deep into their player evaluations yet. It's gonna be more of a you know foundational thing. But you know we'll ask him all those questions. Mike, appreciate the time as always. Appreciate uh, the conversations over the course of the year. And uh, maybe you can kick back and listen to a little bit of Beatles music or something. Some Bob Seger, whatever it is that might be quenching your thirst here for I've kicking got, back. I've, over I've got Abbey Road, in my, Abbey Road in my cassette in the car, so uh, I'll go that. You know, when I'm driving around, I'll pump on and come together. <laughs> there we go. I appreciate it, Mike, as always. See you guys. All right, Mike Chappell again, WXIN and CBS4. Two o'clock hour underway. My name is Jake Query. This is Query and Company here on 93.5107.5 The Fan. Eddie Garrison is the CEO of the company. Jimmy Cook is the company president. You folks, all employees of the company, make up your own title. Whatever you'd like for it to be. Uh, Rick DeMoling, former Indianapolis Colt, joins us. And for that matter, former Detroit Lion, as he is ready to watch Matthew Stafford go in and try to win a playoff game in Detroit. But we're here to talk about the Colts. And Rick DeMoling joins us. Rick, how are you? What's happening? I tell you what, start to uh, 24 wasn't what I was hoping with the Colts, but it's a lot better than what we what we thought it was going to be at the beginning of the year. So yeah, that's and that's kind of what let's let's focus on that because I was saying at the beginning of the show, like in a vacuum, you can be disappointed and go, man, they were a yard away from potentially you know winning the division for that matter. Whoever would have guessed? But when you really step back at it, Rick, and look at it. I think the the mission was accomplished, was it not, in in reality? Because what you wanted with a first-year head coach was to just kind of lay a foundation for Anthony Richardson and turning the page with a new franchise quarterback. And clearly, there are pieces there that are in place. Um, But as a player, is it hard to – like, how long does it take to kind of come to that epiphany if you're a player on the roster? Uh, Good question. I think it takes a little bit because you always think – your your team is good. I mean, unless you're just you know you're just aren't and you lose every single game. But when you're winning, you always think you're a lot better than you are. So like, I would hope that they had ideas of making doing a lot of noise in the in the playoffs. But 
when you talk about what was the goal for the beginning of the season, it had to been like, let's let's see how Steichen does. And I think he did phenomenal. He got the guys to buy in, right? They they played hard, which was I think was an issue last year. They didn't they didn't seem like they were in it. Uh, and I think uh, Steichen has got them to buy in, and he's got a great game plan. He knows how to coach, and so like I think it was a win of a season, uh, and for us to be competitive in all the games was just an absolute bonus. Rick, the main argument to how that last play ended for the Colts is, well, why don't you hand the ball off to Jonathan Taylor and let him go get a yard? My question for you is this. The biggest, most frustrating thing for me in today's NFL, and usually I like a modern look on offense, but if you're trying to get a yard, I never understand, other than to get a guy downhill, which makes sense to some extent, why you're going to line up in the shotgun to go get a yard. So my question for you is, as a former offensive lineman, in today's NFL, what's your viewpoint on that? Because if the drive that the Colts were running is any indication, had they gone for a yard with JT, it likely would have been from the gun. Yeah, I'm not a huge fan of that, but I mean, that just from optics for me, I mean, I, I don't know what it does for the running back. I think it looks different, but an offensive line, it doesn't do a single thing differently because you just got to go block and go do your – it doesn't change the lineup too much. But, yeah, I, I'm more like – if you're going to run the ball, let's get into a, a traditional formation, get the back there, get the quarterback under center, and let's go smash mouth. But I have no problem with the play call that they did. Now, I only question, like, why was – why wasn't JT or Moss back there as the running back? But who knows? Maybe they did that. I, I, my speculation is like they ran that play a ton of times in practice. Like, hey, we want to bring out these, bring this, was it Rogers or I don't know, I don't even know his last name. That's horrible. Um, put him back there so it looks kind of like a decoy. And, you know, it just wasn't executed on both ends. Um, I think the, the running back did the best job he could. And I think Mishu did the best job he could. It just, wasn't the best outcome so kind of that's what was my question is like why not have JT or Moss back there just grind out that one yard or at the very least if you know you're going to Goodson in that position then you have if you put Taylor or Moss back there then what you're doing is you're forcing defenses to be that much to to have to that's another you know they got to keep eyes on on Taylor right and so then you're you're open but again Having him open wasn't the problem. Clearly, it was just yeah. the execution of the play itself, Rick. But um, I wanted to ask you this. You know, today's always, as a media guy, locker cleanout day was always, I don't know, it was always kind of amusing. And I hate to say it that way, but, you know, you got guys coming in there with trash bags and they're carrying out boxes of cleats. And it was like the last day of school. Some guys you could tell were kind of rejoiced by it. Some guys were totally bummed out. Some guys didn't know what their future was. Other guys knew they were getting ready to walk into a huge contract. What is it like as a player when the totality of the season and the end of it hits you right there and you know kind of it's over? What's the mindset? How much do you keep in touch with guys in the next coming week or so? Just take me through what you think is going on on West 56 today. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you hit it on the head. It is a gamut of feelings, right? There are people that are like, sweet, I'm done. Let's just go get to the off season. <laughs> right. There's other guys that like, they pour so much into it that it hurts. It literally is just difficult to move past. And like me, I, I, I am a, 
a guy that needs structure and I need schedule. So like for me, it was like, Oh boy, what do I do? <laughs> so I wake up relatively aimless. So I was, I needed that, but there are, you know, it's everything in between. Some guys, like you said, are like, Hey, I'm about to get paid. This is great. I can start focusing. I'm, I'm healthy and I'm good to go. So, I mean, it, it can vary where your headspace is, where, what year you are, if you're a rookie, if you're a 10 year veteran, I mean, there's really <laughs> a hundred different kind of emotions and ways to, to deal with it. Since you were a lineman, Rick, I'd like to kind of dissect the offensive line play from this year, okay? Um, and I'm going to begin with Bernard Ryman. You know, left tackle is always the hardest position to kind of make as a pillar. You had a great one when you played in Tarek Glenn, who was a regular in that spot. Um, but do you think they have that, as they know that they're getting ready to go now and hand the keys over to hopefully a healthy Anthony Richardson, um, is the left tackle position taken care of? Do you like Bernard Ryman at that spot? I do. Um, I can't say that I've studied him and you know really broken down his game, but I mean, I didn't see – I wasn't screaming at the at the TV going, what's going on, you know, with the left tackle. So that is always a good sign. I mean, I, I think the thing was inconsistency across the board um, on the offensive line. There are times like they had a couple of drives on, on Saturday that is like they looked like world beaters, right? They were just dominating the offensive line. And then as soon as that injury hit and they got a timeout and the defense got their feet underneath them, they – got stymied so it's like it's just consistency and I don't know if that has to do with like and I thought about this is they take a it seems like a lot of time off at practice it's a little bit more lackadaisical like hey you know I don't feel like practicing did not participate whereas like if you were participating and practicing the entire week unless you were truly hurt you know it wasn't like I just don't feel like going anymore and that's and that could be playing a huge part in it. It's like if you're not going against or playing with the guy left to you and to the right of you every single day in practice, then the timing's off and the consistency just doesn't always line up. That goes back to I've asked this before, Rick. If you were, if you're building an offensive line, would you rather have a, a unit that are that every player is let's say a seven, but you get the same guys over the totality of the year? Or would you rather have like two tens and then an intermix of sixes and sevens, but they're constantly coming and going? I'm a huge believer in there is strength and continuity with the line as opposed to individualized talent. But is that why I'm a radio host and not a football coach? <laughs> no, I agree with you. I mean, having consistency and knowing what you're going to get is big. But however, there are certain positions that you can kind of hide a six and seven, right? If you have a a 10, like I had Tart Glenn to my left and Jeff Saturday to my right. I could have been a four, a three, you know, and, and look a lot better than I really was. So I, I like consistency. I err on that side. But, you know, if you do have tens, two or three tens and a couple of guys that are not there, you can kind of hide that a little bit. Hey, Rick, do you still, Rick DeMulling is our guest. Um, kind of an offbeat question here, but since you mentioned Jeff Saturday, and I think, you know, I think anybody in town, likes Jeff Saturday. I mean, there are a few guys that are just solid salt-of-the-earth dudes more than Jeff Saturday. I think people know that, right? Um, last year when he when he came in as the interim coach and I think was probably brought in to kind of itemize things for Jim Irsay, and then the fact that obviously they didn't, you know, they didn't get wins, do you think he was hurt by that? And by, by hurt by that, I, I mean just in terms of the way fans 
didn't turn on him per se, but were not happy with the way the year ended. Do you think that bothered Jeff Saturday? I'm sure, yeah, it had to have, right? Because there, I mean, they, there was a petition for him to not become the coach. I mean, what that that was trashy to me from the fan base, right? So how does that not hurt? Um, I mean, I haven't had a conversation with him and say, hey, how do you feel about that? But Jeff's an emotional guy, and just like anybody else, so that had to have stung a little bit. It would have stung me when, you know, you give your entire, almost your entire career to one organization, then come in and, like, he poured himself out as a coach. Whether people thought so or not, like, he did. He he did everything he possibly could, and then to get that kind of reaction. Like, he was put in a situation that, I don't think anybody could have like garnered a lot of wins. You know what I mean? And so like maybe the expectation was a little unfair um, from the fan base, but I mean, yeah, he he would have every right to be a little, feel some sting with that for sure. Former Colts offensive lineman, Rick DeMoling is our guest. Rick, I know that one drive or even one game is not a full body of work to judge a position group. But as we look back at that offensive line, especially in the final drive, they run the ball nine times with Jonathan Taylor. It's a mixed bag of success, right? A couple nice gains here and there, but one that went for, I think, a loss of one, one that was no gain on the play. There's a lot of different elements that are going there. It's late in the game. JT had hurt his heel earlier. The Texans are starting to kind of dig their feet in a bit. When you look at that final drive or look back at that final drive, where does the struggles at times to run the football lie? JT not being 100% clearly, the effects and fatigue of the game, or the Texans just kind of winning that battle in the trenches more late? I think a little bit of all of it. Um, I mean, it's one of those things a defense can over can make adjustments. You know, that's the thing. Everybody thinks an offensive line that's good should always just go and dominate. And they can dominate their individual positions or battles, but like, they could easily send an extra guy. You know, they were sending guys that were coming free. And I mean, like I said, I haven't broken down the game tape, but it's such a hard thing to win. The they're not running the ball well. It's so easy to blame the offensive line. It it is, but who knows? Like I said, there could be a tight end that missed the block. There could be a misread. There could be they're sending an extra guy, and we were they were running it no matter what. So um, I, I like where the offensive line is at. I think they do have. A lot of great players. Now, some of them are getting a little bit later in their career, but I still think there's a lot of juice in the tank for all of them. And, I mean, I like them. When they when they get, like, an attitude about them and they start getting downfield and making those blocks, they're fun to watch. They're a lot of fun to watch. I think, Rick, personally, one of the unsung heroes of the Colts' offensive line is Braden Smith. because I, And I know that health has been a thing with him, but – I just think that he is really solid, and and when he is not out there, he is a tough one to replicate. Your thoughts? Absolutely. And, I mean, who do we have? Uh, Freeland, right? Correct. Coming in for him. So, like, you have a rookie, and then Brayden is stud. I mean, he is one of those guys that's just consistently consistent. And he's a grinder. He'll he'll go and get it done without any complaints. So, when he's out of there, how do you replace a guy like that? Right. And so kind of like the Costanza, when, when he was gone, like, who do you replace him with? And we, I think we're blessed to have Raymond in there, Ryman. Um, so yeah, I, I think when he's gone, he's a big key to the puzzle. He's been there for a long time. He's a veteran and he knows the guys. So that, that's just hard when you have a guy of that caliber and you know that much experience out of the lineup. If you had a son that was Rick DeMulling is our guest, the former Colts offensive lineman. If you had a son that was aspiring to be an offensive lineman and he's like in seventh grade, okay, so he's 
Which is a more important thing to develop for him? And hear me out on this, Rick, because you're probably going to laugh and think I'm an idiot the way I'm asking it. Having him do push-ups every day or having him jump rope? In other words, (laughs) is footwork an underappreciated, undervalued aspect of being an offensive lineman? Absolutely. Um, That's why you see a lot of transition from basketball. Like, basketball players make typically pretty good offensive linemen there and have the body type. You can always gain strength when you're older, right? It's just you start lifting weights and you get stronger. But, like, having the footwork is something that takes a while. And so being able to move, and some people just aren't born coordinated with their feet. And so, like, getting jump roping, doing those, like, foot and leg activities are so much more important than, like, let's go do a ton of push-ups for sure. Rick DeMolling joins us. Rick, admittedly, this is a difficult question because of the small sample size, but going into 2024, is the look of this offensive line and the style with which they want to play beneficial and supportive of how they're going to utilize Anthony Richardson in his de facto rookie season next year? Good. I think so. I do. Um, I, I think they are well-equipped to handle that. And then if you get Anthony Richardson and JT on the field at the same time, and that offensive line working well together, I, I've never been a fan of, like, let's bring in a piece, a bunch of different pieces on the offensive line and see how it works. Like we said earlier, I'd rather have guys that know what they're doing, they work well together, and they're, they can be sevens or eights and still be able to work really well together. And then I, I'm excited for next year. I'm excited for – hopefully they get some other pieces – um, on the offense and defense, but I'm excited. If these guys stay together, it, it, it's exciting to see what they can do. When you went from Indianapolis to Detroit, Rick DeMulling, I'm I'm guessing here I'm going a little off memory, but you would have gone from you know blocking for Peyton Manning, who we know obviously took virtually every snap here and was not a mobile quarterback per se, and I think you had, what, Jeff Garcia and Joey Harrington and maybe Orlovsky in Detroit, so a couple of those guys – like to move their feet or extend the pocket a little bit. So is it different as a lineman from a lineman standpoint? Do the schemes or the way that they had to practice for a Gardner Minshew, is it going to be different for them for Anthony Richardson? Does the mindset change or the approach change from pure pocket passer to guy that wants to get out and run a little bit? Absolutely. I mean, it has to. I mean, like you said, I had – Peyton Manning, who he never got off his spot unless he absolutely had to, right? There was nothing chasing him unless it was somebody bearing down on him. So I think Menelik, you just got to be ready. Like, don't, like, okay, if my guy goes around, I got I can let him go. Like, no, you got to stay in your guy the whole time because you have no idea where that quarterback is. And then with Anthony Richardson, you know, as mobile as he is and what he can do, yeah, you just, it, it creates a, <laughs> a seven-second pocket. You can't sit there and like, oh, it's one, two, three, four, five. All right, should be good. It's like, no. You stay until you hear the whistle, you know what's going on. So you absolutely got to be on point the entire time. What did the Colts do this year, Rick DeMulling, that we didn't give enough credit for? What did they do well that you didn't hear people talking about? Like over the course of the year, when you would listen to sports talk radio or, or look on TV or, you know, whatever it might be, was there one thing that you're like, man, why is nobody giving them credit here? Because they're better here than where people think. That would be what? I I don't think I could tell you. I mean, obviously they got tremendously better at the pass rush, but that was talked about quite a bit. Turnovers, they were able to force a lot of turnovers. Those two things were talked about a lot, but I mean, that was 
huge to have added on to what you know the nucleus that they have now. But to be honest with you, I don't know if I can answer that and be accurate. Now you grew up in Cheney, Washington, right? Is that right? Cheney, Washington, not Cheney. Cheney. There's no way. There's no A in there. There's just E. <laughs> Sorry, Cheney, Washington. Okay. Now, did you go to the same high school? Obviously, well before you, as Steve Entman. Yes, sir. So is yes. he like a legend at your high school? Did you grow up admiring Steve Entman? So I moved in there like the his last, his senior year. I moved to Cheney at that time. But, yeah, I mean, obviously he was what everybody talked about. And then he went to UW. And I'm sure he'll probably be at the UW game tonight um, watching the Huskies probably take down uh, Michigan. But, yeah, absolute legend. I met him a couple times when I was in high school. He came in and bought all new uh, weights for the for the weight room. And, yeah, I mean, I was – Compared to him when I was in high school, but I was not the, the the man. He was like a man in high school and going into college. Okay, so did you grow up then? A, I mean, I know you obviously went to Idaho, not Washington, but did you grow up a Huskies fan? I did. So I, was, I grew up in Tacoma, so just south of Seattle there. So I always loved the Huskies. But then when I got over to the east side of the state and spoke in Spokane and Cheney, Washington, um, I definitely became a Cougar fan pretty quick. Were you a Gonzaga fan? Because that's in Spokane, right? Yep, that's in Spokane. So I became, obviously, when they started playing well, yeah, absolutely. I jumped on that bandwagon pretty quick. Okay, so here's, here's my question for you about Cheney. Cheney. See, I got it right that time. Cheney High School. There's, you nailed it. There's only one high school in Cheney, right? Or is there a second high school in Cheney? Just one. Because I read somewhere that the high school was actually built on the site of an old nuclear missile launch pad. Is that true? <laughs> if, if that is true, I have never heard of that. Uh, now, we had the junior high was like literally like a bomb shelter. There was like. <laughs> See? Now, why do you men. think that is? Yeah, that's what me. I'm like, oh, that makes sense now. Um, but they they have since uh, gotten rid of that and actually made it look like it's a a, a school for education and not for a bunker for. See, uh, oh my gosh, the, the missiles they were building were not very good, so therefore everyone had to hide in the middle school. Oh yeah, I mean it was like cement walls and roof of like a foot and a half thick. I would think. I mean, very little windows. So I mean, it may, I mean it's starting to track a little bit. <laughs> I'm telling you. See, you thought I didn't know because I mispronounced the name of the town, but I'm telling you, I'm on to something here. I'm gonna have to take a look. I've never heard of that. Um, but hey, it's a small rural town. So okay, now hold knows on. What they were doing? Have you ever heard of Three Springs High School? I have not. Cheney, now this is from Wikipedia, Rick, which is all-knowing as we know, right? Okay. Cheney Alternative High School, or Three Springs High School, is a non-traditional high school in the Cheney School District. The school was first used as a missile site, but had been bought by the Cheney School District for $29,000 with a graduation rate of 87% and served students in the 9th, 10th, 11th, and 12th grade. Now, I would. So this is probably, I, there's an Air Force base and a military base not too far that they do... That's where I bet that that uh-huh. has come from. Now, did you go? And then there's Betts Elementary School, but you would have been in Tacoma at that time, right? No, I did sixth grade. I moved over, so I went to a good old Salnave Elementary. Okay. Now, now, lastly, in 2015, students at Betts Elementary had been removed to Cheney High School after a woman called the school and claimed to have a bomb in the school parking lot. But police officers searched cars in the parking lot, and no bomb was ever found. You don't know anything about that, do you? Bomb, 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 bomb. No, I... Uh, okay, I want to make sure. 
the, the weird thing is that. they would have moved him to the to the high school if the middle school was a former bomb shelter. What are they doing there? I, it's close in proximity. That's about <laughs> it. All right, we'll leave with that. Okay, lastly, um, Rick DeMolding, you thought you were coming on to talk about the Colts. You had no idea we were going to get into Cheney High School, but I will leave you with this for your home state nostalgia. Two-part question. Do the Washington Huskies win tonight, and is it the final game at Michigan for former Colt Jim Harbaugh? I'm going to have my son, who's with me right now, answer who's going to win tonight in the national championship. Who you got, Jeremiah? The Michigan Wolverines. Oh, I, I wow. disagree. I'm going with the Huskies. He is not going to watch the game with me, that's for sure. Um, did you know then, he's a Michigan fan? I did. He, I've been rubbing it in him all, all week to say we're going to whoop up on him. But honestly, I just want a good game. I don't have that many ties to UW other than I just got buddies that went to school there. Um, and state of Washington got a pull for them for their last Pac-12 season. Um, but, yeah, I think old Harbaugh, he's been coy not saying anything. So there's always that possibility, I think. I think, um, listen, with the money that's going to be thrown around in the NFL for him and with all of the drama kind of circling, my apologies to your son, but with all the drama circling the Michigan Wolverine <laughs> football program, I think it's time to, to bail if you're old Jim, right? But uh, right? we shall see. There- but should be a good game, and Michael Penix Jr., we'll see if he can do it, the former Hoosier for the Huskies themselves, and, and break the heart of your son. But enjoy watching in that split house. Yeah, I'll, I, will, I will rub it in. I have no problem making him feel bad about that. So. I like that. Tough love. Rick, appreciate the time as always. Absolutely. Have a blessed one. All right, the pride of Cheney High School, that is Rick DeMullick.